Welcome to Served Neat. I'm your host, Jen Hartman. I am wildly obsessed with marketing, sales, business, and the bottom line. I left corporate America with $3,000 in my bank account and a dream of becoming a successful entrepreneur. In the last two years, I grew my marketing consultancy to multiple six figures, worked with over 160 CEOs, and even started my very own fashion brand. In this podcast, I'll be serving up my best kept secrets to help you grow and scale your business. Each week, you'll hear from myself along with other entrepreneurs. You'll learn about what it actually takes to grow a brand, the ups, the downs, and everything in between. Pour yourself a glass of bourbon and get ready to take notes because it is time to dive into this week's episode. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to our final episode of the year and our final episode of season two. This year was the most incredible year for me as a founder. I experienced quite a few wins in both businesses, but it was also the most challenging year I've ever faced as a founder. Sharing my losses this year got harder and harder and harder. I used to look at people ahead of me and think, wow, they're killing it. They never fail. They're absolutely perfect. But it's not because they were perfect. It just was because they didn't show that other side of business. So many of us share what we want people to see. And the more successful my business became, it almost felt like I had more to lose and I needed to be careful what I shared. I had to really think about my team, my clients, and our reputation It's just important to understand that the person you look up to does experience quite a bit of mishaps in business. The bigger the business becomes, the bigger the failures you experience, at least from my understanding, from what I've seen and from what some of my biz besties have shared with me at the seven-figure and eight-figure mark. I'm going to share a few of the highs I experienced this year, but I'm also going to show you the other side of things, some of the lowest of the lows that I went through in 2022. Okay, first one I want to touch on. This one's a high. Landing a billion-dollar retailer in my apparel business. I remember getting the email from the retailer like it was just yesterday, even though it was technically in Q1. I was out on a run, listening to my music, and of course, this is the one time that I forgot to put my watch and my iPhone on airplane mode. I typically do like airplane mode or do not disturb, and my watch went off, and I was like, dang it, I got an email, and it like took me out of the moment, and I realized that it was from the retailer that I had pitched to a couple of weeks prior. And I couldn't help myself. I had to stop. I opened up the email and I started bawling in the middle of the street of my neighborhood because they had emailed us, well, me, to let me know that they wanted to move forward with the brand and they wanted to send over a vendor agreement for my review. I was just so excited, y'all. It felt like such a massive win for a girl who came from a small town with not a single entrepreneurial bone in her body. I never thought in a million years I'd run a business, let alone sign a contract with one of the biggest retailers in the world. I celebrated pretty hard and spoke about this win pretty publicly. Now for some more interesting news. (laughs) 
I lost the vendor agreement just a couple of months later. It was just due to reasons outside of our control. They were making some changes because of the recession. And unfortunately, those changes included quite a few vendor agreements getting canceled, including ours, and we got no notice. I was upset when I got the news, and I was definitely embarrassed because I had talked about it so publicly. I was like, what are people going to think when they find out that we got dropped? But then again, how many 28-year-olds can say that they were dropped by one of the largest retailers in the world? Not too many. So I kept this in the back of my mind, but here's another way I dealt with this. And actually, this is a way that I deal with a lot of my failures or mishaps or mistakes. I actually sat down and intentionally created a list. I made a T-chart. And on the left-hand side, I put down all of my feelings. Like, what was I feeling the moment I was angry, I was upset, I was mortified. And I just wrote down all of these emotions that I was feeling. I was very intentional about this. I really wanted to make sure I was labeling my emotions correctly. And then on the right-hand side of the T-chart, I put the facts of the situation. So for example, the fact was I got an email and the retailer canceled our agreement. It had nothing to do with my business. It had everything to do with the recession. So just really listing out the facts and not getting my emotions and the facts mixed together. And then what I did from here is I cover up the left-hand side of the page. I cover up my feelings. After I've like acknowledged my feelings, I cover it up and I really hone in on the facts. And I start to feel better. The longer I sit there and the longer I look at the, the facts, the more I can make sense of the situation and the better I start to feel. And again, this is an exercise that I go through every time I experience failure or a mistake, no matter how big or how small, I do this every single time. And it's a really good thing to get into the habit of doing. And I found that after doing this so many times, I start to become more and more rational. Every time I experience failure, I bounce back quicker and quicker and I just become more resilient because I'm I'm used to the this process. I'm used to just really looking at the more logical, the more reasonable side of things. Okay, let's keep on keeping on. So the next high I want to touch on is I am in the best mental health space I have been in in probably five years, six years. And I've felt this way for a couple of months now. I feel really, really, really good. A lot of this has to do with lifestyle changes, medication, taking a step back from business, hiring. I feel like there is so much that has gone into this, but I'll get into it. I'm going to talk about the low. In June, I was actually diagnosed with situational depression and I had to go on medication, which was so scary. I don't know if I've ever talked about this in depth before, but on my 28th birthday, I could not get out of bed, literally could not get up in the morning. And I knew something was wrong. I didn't know if I was like really, really sick or what was happening. I just knew something was very off. This is the most afraid I've ever felt, by the way. For about a week or two leading up to this point, I was having panic attacks and my anxiety was just spiraling out of control. I felt like I was out of control. My heart was constantly racing. I had headaches every single day. I couldn't focus, couldn't focus. So I couldn't work. I had really bad brain fog and I was crying more and more and more. And y'all, I'm not a crier. So this was very alarming. I also didn't have an appetite. Like I just was not 
hungry at all. Like I would get up in the morning and like the smell of food would just like, ugh, like it would hurt my stomach to even smell food or look at food. I was not in a good place back in June. And what was even more upsetting was I was the girl who did everything right. I did everything right. I went to therapy. I slept nine hours a night. I ate healthy. I worked out daily, but I didn't manage my stress. So none of this matters when you're working nonstop and you are living in fight or flight mode and you're not treating the root of the problem, which for me, it was work stress. I thought that every entrepreneur lived in fight or flight. Like I just thought it was normal to wake up in a panic every morning and have your heart race and not being able to like rest at night. I was like, oh, everybody does this. It's normal. Okay. Just because it's normal, which it might be for entrepreneurs, it doesn't mean that it's healthy. So after two weeks of just feeling like this, and I would say like, it's more than just a funk, like some people think like, oh, it's just a funk. It's just a phase. We got through it. But it, for me, it wasn't just a phase. It wasn't just a funk. It was like six months of my life, like leading up to this moment of like having a breakdown. So after a few weeks, two weeks of this, I finally got in to see a psychiatrist, which I had no idea it was going to be so hard to see a psychiatrist. Even with a referral, it was incredibly difficult to see someone when I needed to see someone. And after I saw them, I started on Lexapro. I don't know how many Lexapro babies there are out there. Lexapro babies. I don't know why it's the babies. I don't know how many Lexapro takers, consumers, eaters, Lexapro eaters. That's not the word I really wanted to use there, but it's fine. But it was a tough transition. And Taking it when you are like at the lowest of low is like really difficult too because like you're taking it when you feel like crap and like you're going through like the side effects of it too. So I just felt so out of whack for probably at least six weeks over the summer. Like really this summer took it out of me. So when I combined Lexapro with some lifestyle changes, which by the way, like if you're feeling feeling a little well, um, go talk to your therapist, talk to a psychiatrist. This is in no way, shape, or form medical advice. I'm just sharing my journey, um, and I've been really hesitant to like share much of it because I am nervous about being judged or whatever. Anyways, so I combined Lexapro with a lot of lifestyle changes. Some of the things that made like a really big difference for me were no calls until 11 a.m. So I can really ease into my workday instead of like waking up to an alarm in like panic mode, only taking a few calls every day to help me manage my stress and my energy and learning to delegate more and interfering less and actually listening to my body. Like when I start to go under fight or flight mode, which I did about two weeks ago for the first time since probably July. And I like recognized it so quickly that I was able to be like, okay, you know what? Enough is enough today. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go ahead and make myself a really good smoothie. I'm in a journal. Like I was able to stop myself before it got worse. And it was so, for me, that was such a big win to be able to recognize that within myself and to be able to like do something to change it right away. So like I mentioned like a second ago, I've been really hesitant to share too much of my journey with medication. I was really worried about what people would think. I am very, well, I was very anti-medication up until the point where like I literally couldn't function without it. And I don't know. I always thought there was some sort of like stigma around medication, especially as a founder. Like would I be seen as less of a success if people knew I needed the support of medication to get through? I don't know. And I'm still kind of trying to figure it out. But 
the more business friends I chat with about this, the more I'm finding that almost all of us, regardless if you're making six, seven, eight, or nine figures, a lot of us deal with mental health problems, whether it's anxiety, depression, overwhelmed, bipolar, or something else. A lot of us have these struggles, but so few of us are openly talking about it. And I hope that even just by me talking about it in this episode, I hope that I help to lift the stigma a little bit around the fact that you can take medication and you can be super successful. Like you're mental health disorder, your your choice of treatment that doesn't define your success level. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about a high. This will be the last high and low. High was hiring a team. Y'all, I am a different founder than I was in January. I should have done this way sooner, but like most female founders, I was stubborn and I waited way too long. At the time of this recording, we have a COO. I have an executive assistant. Shout out Mackenzie, who's editing this podcast. I love you. We have a PR strategist, a content manager, an influencer specialist, and we are actually hiring a new business development specialist because our old salesperson left. We left on good terms. Don't worry. I love her. She's amazing. We're still friends, but she is in school. She is doing all the things and I'm cheering her on. We're also in the market for a PR coordinator and we will soon be hiring probably another strategist with how fast we're growing. It is craziness over here at Neat Marketing. One of the biggest challenges I found this year, and again, I'm still talking about a high, but something that's really difficult about going from like doer to manager is that it's two different skill sets, right? Like one, you're a really good implementer. Two, you're a really good delegator. And no one teaches you really how to be a good manager. I've kind of learned from like trial and error, which sounds really bad now that I'm saying it out loud. But some of the things that have helped me become a little bit better, and I won't say I'm perfect yet, and I think it's something that you're constantly developing because your team members are changing, you're working with different personalities, you're working on different projects, there's new challenges, right? So like this is something you're probably never going to get done learning about. And yeah. So anyways, here's a couple of like tips and tricks, like things that I've I've learned in the past 12 months that I want to pass down to you guys. And honestly, I'll probably record an entire episode about this at some point, but I'll give you guys a few for now. So number one is to give people room to try and fail. It's important to give people an opportunity to at least try and learn in the process. I think that too many founders are holding onto their business with like such a tight grip and they end up micromanaging out of a place of fear and mistrust. But it's so important that in order to just like really step back, right? In order to step back from the business, you have to give people an opportunity to step up. So they have to step up and you have to take a step back in order to get to a place where you can delegate and not stress over it. And I tell this to people all the time, but we're in marketing and PR, right? We are not doing brain surgery. There's very little in the business that you are going to massively mess up. There's really not a whole lot that you can do that we can't fix. So I love to give people those opportunities to try and fail. Like we really, really encourage failure. It's important to fail because you you grow from failure. And also nobody likes to be micromanaged. I've never met someone who was like, yes, you know what? Sign me up for micromanagement. It is my fave. It's where I thrive. A majority of people don't like it. So you have to give people that opportunity and that space. Okay, we're going to keep on keeping on. 
as a manager, it's really important to ask for feedback. I've had quite a few managers over the years and not one of them have ever asked me for feedback. They were happy to like give feedback to me, but they would never ask for it in return. And I get that it's very uncomfortable as a leader to be like, Hey, tell me what I suck at. Not a great, not a great feeling. It kind of, it it hurts the ego a little bit to ask for feedback, but it's how you get better as a leader. It's important to have people say, Hey, you know what? You really excel in these categories, but I would appreciate it if you could do X, Y, and Z. This would help me help you. The next one I want to share is to get to know your team members on a personal level. When you know your team members on a more personal level, there are so many opportunities to show that you care. And last but not least, because I could talk about team members and management all day, is spend time together outside of the office. I've been trying to spend more time with my little gals. It just like builds camaraderie and it builds more of a friendship. And yeah, I just, I really like getting to know people outside of work and you should too. And I know not everybody has team members in their city, but even if you can do something fun over Zoom, like a Zoom Christmas party, or if somebody's having a baby doing like a Zoom baby shower, it's just important to to go above and beyond like that and show that you care about your team members. All right let's talk about my last low. And that is letting go of team members. This is one of the toughest conversations you'll ever have to have in business. I let go of my first full-time team member earlier this year. I kid you not. I did not sleep for like three nights leading up to this conversation. (laughs) I care so much about people and yeah, I just, I, I don't like, I, oof that I can't, I'm like, I'm having trouble with words because that conversation was so uncomfortable for me. But here's what I have learned. Bringing people in for 90 days as a contractor can be a great way to see if somebody is a good fit before making a full-time offer. It is much easier to say after 90 days, hey, it's not a good fit. Let's part ways. If they're only a contractor and they're only part-time, that doesn't make a a big difference in either either of your all's worlds, right? It's not going to ruin your business. You're not going to ruin their life. And I think it's a great opportunity. And after 90 days, you'll have a feel for whether or not somebody's fitting. And after three months, you should know. The other thing that we've changed more recently is tightening up our interview process and bringing in other team members for the interview process. Getting very clear about what questions we'll be asking, what we're kind of looking for out of the interview, thinking about how this person will fit in and It's good to get buy-in from others, especially if you have more of a collaborative team environment. Just because I like somebody and I really vibe with someone doesn't mean our COO is going to vibe with them. It doesn't mean that our PR strategist is going to vibe with them. We really want anyone who's going to be working with them to feel like they're, they're kind of clicking. It's also important, what I found, is to onboard slowly to avoid overwhelm. Give people one or two tasks per week as they start to onboard, continue to build on that. Do not dump 20 tasks on somebody the first week that they start with you. And I know some people are like, well, I'm paying them to do X, Y, and Z, da, 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 da. Okay, but let me, let's, let's take you back to a different time. Think about when you started a new job and how overwhelming it was. Every single job I've ever walked into, it was so overwhelming for the first month tried to figure out who everyone was, like what everyone's name was and learning more about my manager and learning more about the job and the company. And it's just a lot to wrap your head around in the first month. And then if you throw 
a ton of to-dos at somebody that makes it even more overwhelming. And you're not going to keep team members if you are drowning people in work in their first 30 days. So just be cautious of how you onboard team members. With that too, I want to add on, it's important to find out how people learn because if somebody's a hands-on learner and you're just like sending them written SOPs, they're never going to learn the job. All right, y'all, this is a longer episode. I appreciate you guys sticking with me. I hope that you learned a thing or two or three, but the point of this episode was just to get across like, yes, I've seen a lot of wins and yes, the other people you look up to in business, other entrepreneurs also have seen a lot of wins, but we also, I also experienced quite a few losses, like so many losses. And it almost seems like the bigger the business grows, the more, the, the bigger the losses become. <laughs> They're no longer baby losses. They're big, giant losses that have real ramifications. And I will say that over time, over the past few years, though the losses seem a bit heavier and a bit bigger, I've gotten better at dealing with those losses. And I think that's the case for a lot of entrepreneurs is, while the losses seem big, they're also becoming more skilled at moving past those losses. So that's it for the episode. That's it for the year. Crazy. <laughs> I will see you guys next year. Ooh, that was a cheesy way to end. I'll see you next year. I used to say that in college when I was leaving for winter break and I would like hug my friends and be like, I'll see you next year. And it was like this joke, but yeah, I'll see you guys in 2023. I'm excited for season three. We're going to do some giveaways. We're going to do some mini series. We're going to have some fun guest experts on. I cannot freaking wait. In the meantime, I hope everybody has a great rest of their year and connect with me on social neat.marketing. Bye guys.